compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. In the book, A Brave New World, Aldous Huxley paints a picture of a dystopian future. And unlike 1984, which George Orwell wrote about the same time, uh, where it's got this big brother who controls basically everything in the society, uh, the, the picture that Huxley paints is quite different. Huxley predicts a society where no whim or desire is denied to the ruling class and to the elites. In fact, uh, entertainment and amusement are so key that complacency actually reigns king in this society because people are so focused on being entertained and being amused that they, can't, they don't have time to worry about the things of consequence. It's ironic because the picture Huxley paints is somewhat similar to the picture that we see in our society today. Today we live in a culture and in a context that is oftentimes distracted and misguided from seeking the things of importance. In fact, the church itself is sometimes off focus, focusing on things that don't really matter. Things like what we're going to look at this morning in this passage that we're going to be at. See, as we, as we jump into 1 Peter again this morning, we're going to see that Peter has a, a few very important things for us this morning. Uh, a few important things for us in our interactions with other Christians and in our interaction with God himself. If you were here last week, you saw that we briefly went through 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. And that what we saw from those verses is that this was a call that, that God has on our lives to live holy lives. But this calling isn't given in a vacuum. This calling is given on the basis and on the foundation that we have been given new life, that we have been given a new birth as Christians, and that God has chosen us to be his adopted children. It's from that foundation that we are called to live holy lives. But as we went through that passage and we saw what Peter was talking about, we saw that Peter really didn't give us uh, concrete examples of what this looks like. Peter didn't tell us how to live holy lives in our own personal context. Instead, he was focusing more on why we should live these holy lives. Again, we should live these holy lives because God has done a great work in us and for us as his children. This morning's text kind of takes that truth that we are called to live holy lives. And it fleshes it out in the context of Christian community. You see, as we all may know, Christians uh, exist for community. We are saved as Christians for community with other people. If you look at the pages of Scripture, you're not going to see an example of someone who was a Christian by themselves. There, there are times when people feel desperately alone in Scripture. Uh, King David is a primary example of that. But what we see as we look at the pages of Scripture is that no one is ever truly alone as a Christian, because God walks with them. And God has given us the beautiful truth of Christian community to walk with us in the midst of the hard times of life. So God has saved us for community. God means for us to live in community. But the reality is, uh, if we're real honest with ourselves, that's kind of hard. 
It's difficult at times to live with other Christians, to put up with the idiosyncrasies of other people. In fact, sometimes it just seems easier that we can just do this thing on our own, that we can walk out this faith on our own because we don't have to deal with other people. That's what our culture tells us. That's not what Peter tells us here. This morning we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through the end of the chapter, and then we're going to jump into 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. And what we're going to see as we jump into those is how exactly we live holy lives in the midst of Christian community. A lot of the things that we're going to look at this morning uh, are nothing new to us. We know these truths. We've heard these truths probably many times. They're relatively easy for us to understand. They're very difficult for us to live out. It's important for us to note that what we're going to be looking at this morning focuses primarily on relationships among Christians. Now, there are a lot of applications that you can take from this passage and say, yeah, that applies to my relationship with non-Christians. And I think Peter would want us to do that. But the first and uh, primary focus that Peter has this morning, and for us this morning, is how we interact with one another. How we love one another and how we get to know each other, bear with one another in the midst of the sufferings of life. Peter tells us to love one another. And then after that, Peter tells us just exactly how we can do that. As we go through this passage, we're going to see really two parts. First, we're going to look at why we should love one another. And then second, we're going to look at how we love one another. Or maybe a better way of putting that is how do we find the motivation to love one another in the midst of difficult times. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, going to be starting in verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, the passage is going to be printed in your sermon notes that you should have gotten as you walked in. Also be printed up here on the screen. But before we jump in, let's go ahead and pause, ask for God's blessing uh, and God's spirit to be with us this morning. So please join me in prayer. Father, we pause now as we jump into your word and ask for your spirit to come. We ask that you would come and teach us, that you would come and convict us, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, God, that you would give us ears to hear. Father, that we would live out the truths that Peter shares with us in this passage, and we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name, amen. Again, uh, going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, is where we're going to start. So please join, uh, follow me as I read aloud. This is verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Right here at the very beginning in this section, Peter tells us how to live out the calling of, of a holy life when we are interacting with one another. See, up to this point, Peter has given us a couple different commands in First Peter. I just want to look through all of those commands real quick. There's three of them up to this point. The first one is found in First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. This is what he says. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
It's the first command that Peter tells us. And really, this is the foundation for holiness in our lives. To set our hope, to set our affections on the grace that will be revealed to us when Jesus Christ comes back. This is the key to holiness. If if we start anywhere else in our quest to be holy, we're going to fail. If we seek to be holy because we want to impress other people or because we want to fit in at church, we're going to fail. But if we set our hope on the grace that God has for us when Jesus Christ comes back, we're setting the right foundation in the quest for holiness. Remember what we talked about last week when we were talking about what holiness means. We, we looked at uh, Abraham Lincoln and how Abraham Lincoln called Gettysburg uh, a hallowed ground. And the reason he said that is because he was referring to it as a set-apart place because something significant had happened there. And we took that understanding of holiness and we said, yeah, that, that works for us too. We are set apart because something significant has happened within us. It isn't a quest for morality. It's a quest to be different because God has worked in our lives for good. So that's the first command that Peter gives us, that we should set our hope on the grace that will be revealed to us. The second one is found just a few verses later in verse 15. This is what Peter says. He says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Again, right here, Peter gives us another example uh, or another reason why we should be holy and why we should seek holiness in our lives. Because God himself is holy. We don't seek to be holy for our sake. We don't seek to be holy to try to please our parents. We seek to be holy because God himself is holy. The third command that Peter gives us is found in verse 17. Where Peter says this, And if you call on him as father... Who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile. Here's another reason why we should be holy. We should be holy because God is worthy of honor and respect. The God that, that Peter paints here in 1 Peter is not one of those Jesus is my homeboy kind of gods. This is the king of the universe the judge of the universe, the creator of the universe who knows everything, who sees everything, who is in control of everything, even when we don't want that to be the case. He reigns supreme. Because of that, he is worthy of utmost honor and utmost respect as as Christians. So we should seek to be holy because of that. Now, you may be wondering, why do I mention those verses? Why do I mention these three commands? Well, these three commands really are are continued in what Peter tells us here as we start our passage this morning. The command to love one another is a continuation of the truth that we should set our hope on God at his return. That we should be holy because he is holy. That we should be holy because he is worthy of utmost respect and honor. We love because of these things. This probably isn't something that you haven't already heard. I recognize that. But again, it's it's something that is easy to understand and difficult to put into practice. That we should be holy because of all that God has done for us. But here, in these verses, Peter answers the question, well, why should we love? I understand that, that we should be holy because God is holy. 
I understand that the way that we live out holiness in the Christian community is by loving one another. But why exactly do we love one another? And Peter gives us at least four reasons here in this text. And let's go through each of these four reasons of why we should love one another. Why we should bear with one another when we, frankly, just annoy each other. Why we bear and walk with one another when we don't like one another, when we have disagreements with each other. Why do we have unity in the midst of all these things? Well, that's why Peter is telling us these things right here. The first one is this, that we have been cleansed. We have been cleansed. This is the first reason why we should love one another. Take a look at the first part of verse 22. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Having purified your souls for obedience to the truth. See, we love one another because we have been purified. Because God has cleansed our souls. If you remember, uh, several weeks ago, we were in the first two verses of 1 Peter. And we saw Peter refer to obedience to Jesus Christ in, those pa- in that verse. And one of the things that we saw is that this call to obedience... For us to be obedient means for us to be obedient to the gospel call, to be obedient to God's calling on our lives and to respond in repentance and to respond in faith. And Peter is telling us the same thing here. We have been cleansed. We have been purified by our response to the gospel call through the blood of Jesus Christ. When we become Christians, we are sealed by the Spirit. When we become Christians, we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And because of that, that leads to love for those who are around us. So the first thing is we have been cleansed. The second reason why we should love one another is that we were made to love. Let's keep reading verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. For a sincere brotherly love. What Peter is telling us is that we, as one of the reasons God has saved us, is to love one another. To love those who are around us. You see, when God created humanity, before the fall, Adam and Eve were, were created to live in perfect harmony with one another. And with, in perfect harmony with God himself. God has created us to live in relationships with those who are around us. But sin mars those relationships. Sin destroys healthy, good friendships, and sin prevents authentic relationships from ever forming. So what God is telling us here in this verse is to say, let's get back to the way things are supposed to be. I meant for you to live in perfect harmony with one another, and as a part of my new creation, let's get back to that. You were created to love one another. Now you've been saved to love one another. You have, you've been saved from your sins, yes. You have been saved for a relationship with God, yes. But you have also been saved for sincere brotherly love for those who are around us. We were made to love. Third thing is this, that we have been born again. Let's keep reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 and going into 23. It says, therefore, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. We should love one another because we've been born again. A couple of weeks ago, we were in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, and this is a hymn that Peter wrote talking about the significance of us being born again and really what that looks like and what that means. And what we saw is that to be born again really just means to be a part of God's new creation. God is doing something new in the world. 
and we join in and become a part of that new creation when we are born again and when we respond to the gospel call in faith and in repentance. You may be saying, well, Jordan, isn't that the same thing as the first thing that you mentioned about we have been cleansed so we should love one another? Well, they're similar, but they're, they're different. When we say that we should love one another because we have been cleansed, what Peter is telling us is that we should love one another because we've been forgiven. God has cast out all of our sins. He's purified us from our sins. And from that foundation, we should love one another. But what he's saying here is when he says that we should love one another because we have been born again, he's saying, God, you are a part of God's new creation. This is how the way things work in his new creation. So live the way that God has now created you to live. We should love one another because we've been born again. It gives us a little glimpse of what this new creation looks like when he mentions imperishable seed. He's telling us that this new creation will never fade away. Just like the kingdom of God, it will never disappear. Just like God himself, it will never lose its power. And just like the word of God, it will never be superseded. We have been born again because of an imperishable seed. And the fourth thing is this, that Jesus came and is coming again. Let's finish chapter 1 here. Through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass in its glory, like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. After hearing those verses, you may be wondering, well, Jordan, how on earth did you come to the conclusion that that is telling us that Jesus came and Jesus is coming again? It's a good question. Uh, To understand that, we have to understand where Peter is coming from. Peter is talking about the word of God here. He's mentioning that God's word will never fade away. God's word will never pass away. And he's doing this by quoting a passage from Isaiah chapter 40 in the Old Testament. Now, Isaiah chapter 40 actually has a very similar context to the one that that Peter is writing to uh, in his day. In Isaiah chapter 39, the people of Israel are told that they're going to be conquered by Babylon. Quite a depressing uh, word to receive, if we're honest. They're going to be conquered by Babylon. But in in Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah uh, tells us this new revelation from God and says, There's going to be comfort. There's going to be hope because God is offering them comfort and hope. I want to just read a few verses from Isaiah chapter 40 for you, verses 3 through 5. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now here's a little bit of Bible trivia for you. Where else in the Bible is that passage quoted? It's quoted in the Gospels when it's talking about John the Baptist, right? This passage in Isaiah is found right before Isaiah's uh, passage where he talks about the word of the Lord never passing away, never fading away. You see what Peter's doing here? He's looking back to this chapter where God promised hope and comfort for his people by saying, guys, I am going to walk with you. I am going to reveal myself to you, and I am going to be with you. My presence will dwell among you. 
And John the Baptist came and proclaimed this good news that that Jesus was coming, that the power of God, that the dwelling place of God was coming to be with humanity. And what Peter is doing here, he's saying, yeah, look back at Jesus. Jesus is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40. And Jesus told us that he is coming back someday. And his words will never pass away. His words will never fail. Jesus came. Jesus is coming again. And that gives us the strength to carry on and to endure in the midst of the hard times of our lives. But it also gives us the strength to love one another. We should love one another because Jesus came and Jesus is coming again. See, the Bible is filled with passages and verses that tell us how we should love one another and why we should love one another. But Peter gives us four right here. He tells us we should love one another because we've been cleansed, because we were made to love, because we have been born again, and because Jesus is coming back. But if we stopped right there, it might be a little difficult for us to continue. See, how exactly do we love one another? Or maybe a better way of putting that is, where do we find the motivation to love one another. I think a lot of times when we hear the why of why we should love one another, we get to a point where we just feel guilty. We just feel guilty because it doesn't give us any motivation to love each other. In fact, it just makes us feel bad because we know what we should be doing and we end up not doing that. So in the first few verses here of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter is telling us where we find the motivation to love one another. Let's keep reading 1 Peter 2 verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In these verses, Peter tells us the key to loving one another. And the key to loving one another is to passionately pursue God. The key to loving one another is to passionately pursue God. See, today in the United States, the concept of loving one another is uh, really pretty popular. This is why people who aren't Christians will say that the Bible's most important verse, what the Bible is all about, is that we should love each other, that we should love one another like we love ourselves. And that's good, important truth, but that's not the central point of the Bible. It's not the most important thing that the Bible tells us. In fact, if we were to just say that the entire purpose of Christianity and of the Bible was to love one another, it would be the hardest, most difficult thing that we could ever say. It is the biggest, greatest demand a religion could ever make on someone to say, you have to love one another. It takes so much effort to do that. If we try to do it from our own selves and from within ourselves and out of our own strength and power, we're either going to fail we're either, or we're not going to do it or we're going to sell ourselves short in the ways that we can love each other. We have to love one another from a place of passionate pursuit of God. And Peter knows this. Peter knows that without having a passionate pursuit of God be the primary focus of our lives, that we are setting ourselves up for failure. And so that's why he commands us. Notice, he commands us to long after God first. This isn't just some sort of aspiration. This isn't something that is reserved only for the Pentecostals or for the spiritually mature to long after God. This is a command for every single Christian 
whoever lived and whoever will live, to long after God. Just look at the illustration that Peter gives us here. He talks about our longing and the way we should long after God, and he uses the illustration of a newborn and how a newborn longs after food with fervency and frequency. He says, you know how newborns long after food? Some of us may understand that vividly right now. He's saying, you understand that? That's how much you should long after God and his word with fervency and frequency. Now, don't confuse this metaphor with other passages of Scripture that talk about milk and meat and saying that only the young in their faith should have to long after God. This is a command for all of us. All of us are commanded to long after God. No matter how strong or how weak your faith is, all of us are commanded to long after God, to seek after God with all of our hearts, with the same fervency and frequency that a newborn longs for food. When we hear that command, I'm going to be honest, I get a little nervous. It's kind of be nerve-wracking to hear that I'm supposed to long after something. The initial reaction that I have is, well, I can't do that. I can't force myself to desire something, to long after something. Peter is asking for the impossible right here. It's called spiritual fatalism. It's a belief that, well, we're just destined to follow the path that's set before us. We can't do anything about it. We can't change uh, the direction that we are going. We are just stuck in our path. And, And frankly, many of us probably believe that, that we cannot control our longing after God, our desires for God. But I want you to imagine that you have a conversation with a, uh, a middle school boy who is a very nice young man, but he's uh, very overweight. And after talking with him, you tell him, you know, there is no chance for you to lose weight. There is no chance for you to become healthier in your lifestyle. No matter what you do, you are stuck in this path. There's no way for you to change where you're headed. Can you imagine the response that that young man would feel? Well, it would be one of despair, of complacency, of uh, uh, disparagement. He would just not want to continue going on. There'd be no point in doing anything. But now imagine that you come to that same young boy and you say, there's a chance for you. You might not ever be an Olympic athlete, But you can live a healthy lifestyle. You can live in a way that is a faithful steward of the calling that God has given you for your body. The response would be much greater, much different than the first one. It would be a source of encouragement to move forward. That's what Peter is doing here. Peter is telling his audience, look, I know some of you don't long after God. I know some of you have let your relationship, your passion for God, fall by the wayside. Start longing for God right now. He's telling us the same thing this morning. If you find yourself in a rut spiritually, if you are looking back on your spiritual life and you're longing for the good old days when fellowship with God was sweet and when you think that the best years of your walk with God are behind you, Peter is saying, start longing after God. Start seeking after him. Start right 
now. Start longing after God. Not sure where to start. Well, Peter gives us a couple suggestions. First is this, to stop sinning. If you want to long after God, stop sinning first. Take a look at verse 1 of of chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Should cut these things out of our lives. Cut the sinful things out of our lives because they are destroying our passion for God. They're like weeds that are growing around our passion for God and choking it out, killing that desire for him. It doesn't have to even be sin necessarily. That's why I brought up the Brave New World book at the very beginning of our time together. Because they were seeking after things that necessarily weren't bad. Entertainment and amusement isn't bad. But they sought after those things to the point where it killed their passion for things that were of greater significance. I know that I am guilty of this. I have to consciously watch myself every Saturday in the fall. Because if I'm not careful... College football will kill my passion for God. And as I wake up every Saturday, I get nervous. Because I can feel it like a weed. Reaching for my passion for God to try to choke it out. We have to be intentional about cutting these things out of our lives or or finding ways to prevent these things from killing our passion for God. So the first thing is to cut these things out of our lives. Second is this, look to scripture. Take a look at verse two here. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk milk that by it you may grow into salvation. What Peter is referring to here when he talks about the pure spiritual milk, he's referring to God in his word. Seek after God through Scripture. If you have a desire to seek after God and and to long after Him, and I think that that's a good desire to have because Peter commands it right here, and you want to know where to start, this is where you start. By seeking God in His Word, the richest times of my life have been when I'm pouring over Scripture a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, teach a class in a seminary. And, and as I was preparing for that class, it was on the life of Christ. And I spent hours and hours and hours each week pouring over the Gospels, walking with Mark through his book, getting to know Jesus in that book. And it instilled within me a passion for God that had begun to cool. Seek after God and his word. Not only that, memorize his word. Store it up in your heart. Some of you may be saying, well, look, Jordan, I can't memorize. I've tried it before. It's too difficult for me. And to that, I would say, you're so lucky. It's not sarcasm. You are so lucky. I genuinely envy people who struggle at memorization. Because as you wrestle with those passages... And as you attempt to memorize them, you are storing it in a place that it will never disappear. You are giving it roots that will never fade away. It is going deep within you. I'm good at memorizing. That helps me on Sunday mornings. But it also means that I don't have those deep roots. Memorize God's word. If you struggle with memorizing, don't pass up the gift that God has given you to store his word deep within your hearts. Seek after God in scripture. Third thing is worship. That's what Peter is referring to in verse three, when he mentions that we should uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
should be thankful for what God has done for us. We should worship him for all that he has done in us. I love the way one pastor makes this connection between uh, worship and our desires and tasting God. I just, this is a long quote, but I want to read the entire thing to you. It says this, if you are a Christian and you are dealing with enslaving habits, it's not enough to say, bad Christian, stop it. It's not enough to beat yourself up or merely try harder and harder and harder. The real reason that you're having a problem with an enslaving habit is because you are not tasting God. I'm not talking about believing God or even obeying God. I'm saying tasting, tasting God. The secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. You need worship. You need great worship. You need weeping worship. You need glorious worship. You need to sense God's greatness and to be moved by it. Moved to tears and moved to laughter. Moved by who God is and what he has done for you. And this needs to be happening all the time. This type of worship is the only thing that can replace the little if-only fires burning in our heart. We need a new fire that says, if only I saw the Lord, if only he was close to my heart, if only I could feel him to be as great as I know him to be, if only I could taste the grace as sweet as I know it to be. And when that if-only fire is burning in your heart, then you are free. You want to long after God, worship him. Worship him for what he has done for you. Worship him here. Worship him at home with your family or by yourself. Worship him in the car as you're listening to the radio. It doesn't matter. You can worship him to a song or as you're reading scripture and overcome by the goodness and greatness of God as you're reading that. Worship God. Taste the goodness of God. Another thing is this, to pray. I hesitate to say this, and and I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but our church is not good at prayer. We are not a church that is good at prayer. And that that starts with me. That's that's my fault uh, for not modeling that the way it should be. But I've seen in my own life, and I've seen in the lives of other people, that our longing for God increases and decreases with the amount of time that we spend in prayer communing with God. Some of you may be saying, well, Jordan, I don't know how to pray. I can't even get the words out because of the spot I'm at right now. And that's why God has given us a prayer book in the Psalms. If you want to know how to pray, start praying the Psalms. They cover the highs of life. They cover the lows of life. They teach us what to pray for. And they spark in us a passion for God, a longing for God. Prayer is another way to start doing this. And the fifth thing is this, to pause. Unplug yourself from the craziness of life. Take a moment, just take a breath. Take a step back. Look at how God has been at work in your specific past. Look at how God might be at work in your future or in your present right now. And give thanks to him. But also at the same time that you pause, one of my favorite things to do is pause and to enjoy creation. Some of the best times of worship that I've ever had have been in a car on a Sunday evening in Iowa as I'm watching the sunset and watching the beauty of the canvas that God paints new every night. 
Or when I'm standing beside the Colorado River and there are cliffs uh, on both sides of me shooting hundreds of feet up towards the sky. Or when I'm in southern Canada, far from air pollution and light pollution, I look up at the night sky and I'm overwhelmed by the number of stars that are up there and the wonder and the greatness of God. Enjoy God in his creation. Pause and long after him in that way. Peter tells us that we must long after God. It's our duty as Christians to long after God. It's commanded throughout Scripture. But not only is it a duty, it's the greatest privilege that any human could ever have to love God, to seek after Him with our whole hearts, to have a passion for Him. If you were to sum up our text this morning in one sentence, it would be this, that the power to love comes from a passion for God. The power to love comes from a passion for God. You want to love others around you good, God calls us to do that but do it from a place of passion for him. Love others as an outpouring of your love for him. Is this important? Absolutely. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Jesus tells the apostle John to write a couple different letters to seven churches in in that area. And one of those churches is the church in Ephesus. And I just want to read this letter to the church in Ephesus. It's only seven verses here. And to see the importance of longing after God. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will grant to eat from the tree of life which is found in the paradise of God. Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 serve as a warning and an encouragement for us. They serve as a warning because God is not amused by our lack of passion for him. He is not amused when we seek after other things before we seek after him. But it also serves as as an encouragement because it tells us There's a chance for us to long after him. When we don't seek him now, there's a chance for us to seek him someday. To fall in love with him again. And it gives us something to look forward to. Fellowship with God in paradise. Friends, God calls us to love one another, but the power to love comes from a passion for God. So let us pursue God. Let us love one another. Let us grow in holiness. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for the rare privilege it is to have a relationship with you, to seek your face, to long after you. And not only is this our duty, but it is also a great privilege. Father, I pray for everyone here this morning, uh, regardless of where we stand in our pursuit of you. And Jesus, I ask that you would be favorable to us in our longing for you, that you would stir up affections for you. As we seek to grow in holiness, as we seek to become more like you in all that we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.